Well, let me just say it one more time to all you dads out there. Happy Father's Day. Today, you know, is that special day of the year when you get to sit back, relax, and let your wife do the heavy lifting, all in the name of being a dad, as opposed to the other 364 days a year when you sit back, relax, and let your wife do all the heavy lifting. It's just kind of on those other days, you don't have as much of an excuse. I'm kidding. Not really, actually. Uh, maybe it's just me, but it's, it's kind of ironic that on the one day of the year that is meant to celebrate my dadhood, I'm probably the laziest version of being a dad. You know, my wife will yell at me like, hey, Shay, can you help with that crying baby? It's like, are you kidding me? It's Father's Day. I'm not helping with that junk. You take care of it. So anyway, dads, let's be stellar dads today. I mean, we can do this. I, I totally believe in all of you who are watching right now. Uh, we're continuing today in a series titled Didn't See It Coming uh, because every single one of you who are watching right now throughout our lives and in particular over the last couple of months, uh, we've had our fair share of surprises, uh, perceived setbacks, trials, these, these didn't see it coming moments. And, and how are, are we supposed to react in those moments? And, and, and what are we supposed to do when it's, it's really not even a, a moment, but it's actually more of, of a season where it's just one surprise hitting us after another. Now, fortunately for us, at least I believe this to be fortunate for us, uh, this isn't a new phenomenon for human beings. And, and so what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the example of four different people, real people who really walk the earth, that, that we read about and we learn about within the pages of this book that we call the Bible. Four people that, that did not see it coming. And we're going to watch how they leaned into God in these moments rather than away from him. And in turn, they used their faith and God's power to their advantage and for the advantage of the people around them. And even though these stories are in most cases literally thousands of years old, you'll see that the principles and life lessons are every bit as applicable today as they were so long ago. Uh, today, uh, again, we're heading into part three, and so uh, disclaimer, if, if you haven't been here for the first two parts of this series, I'd really, really encourage you to head to grumlaw.com slash messages. You can catch yourself up there, listen to the messages there, watch the messages there, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. But, but as we dive into this conversation today, I, I have a question for all of you who are watching right now, and I actually want you to try and, and, and think of a specific occasion where this might have actually occurred in, in your own life, okay? So here's the question. Have you ever been promised something so absurd that you quickly dismissed it only to have that promise later fulfilled? So, so, so something was promised to you and it seemed absolutely ridiculous, but then it actually kind of came true. Now, obviously, I've had a little bit more time to think about that question than all of you, so I'll give the first example that came to my mind. Um, about uh, three years ago, so about six months before we, we started, before we launched as, as a church, uh, there were 100 people that I had kind of recruited to pray every single day for Grumlaw. And I, I would send them out very specific requests every two weeks. And about six months before we, we launched as a church, uh, I had put in one of these uh, updates, hey, hey, will you pray specifically that God will literally just give us an office space? We don't have money in the budget for us, and you know we're prepared to go down the whole Starbucks, Panera Bread, like use my basement type route, but it's like obviously not as productive in those type of environments, so if God would just give us that, that would be awesome, and so we're like, okay, like let's just at least throw it out there, and so about 20 minutes after I send that prayer update out, uh, somebody who's praying for us every single day, my buddy Jeremy, he, he calls me, 
And he says, hey, I, I think I might be able to help out with this. And I was like, geez, God, that would be pretty crazy. 20 minutes later, like you already hooked this up. He's like, yeah, uh, my boss, he's actually building some new office space right in, in Fenton. And I know that not all of the suites are accounted for yet. And so uh, construction is still underway, but it should be done in a couple of months. Let me, let me ask him, are you okay being in Fenton? And obviously beggars can't be choosy. I mean, I'd rather be in Grand Blanc, but I was like, shoot, if he just wants to give us office space in Fenton, of course, we'll, we'll take it. And so he says, okay, and he hangs up the phone. And about five minutes later, he's calling me back again. So I'm assuming that he has more questions, but uh, he just tells me, he says, hey, he agreed, he's in. And I was like, wait, who's in? What do, what do you mean? He's like, hey, he said that you can, you can have one of the suites. They're not all you know, accounted for. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jeremy, I, I don't think you understood me. I, I don't want to pay a nickel. Like we don't have any money to, to pay for this office space. Like, are you sure you made that really clear to him? He's like, yeah, yeah, he knows, it's all good. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, a couple more months, construction will be done and we'll be in touch then. And I was like, okay. So I hang up the phone and I'm like, did that seriously just happen? And I'm kind of celebrating that, but I'm kind of like cautiously optimistic whether this is actually gonna happen. Do I need to have a conversation with this guy? And one month turns into two, turns into three, turns into four, and we still haven't really heard anything. And all of a sudden one day my, my phone rings again and it's Jeremy and I'm like, hey, where are we at with the office space? And he's like, hey, that's why I'm calling actually. And I could hear, tell by his voice that it wasn't going to be good news. He's like, actually, uh, they ended up leasing that space a lot quicker than anticipated. So, so we can't actually have you in that building. And almost immediately going through my brain was I knew it. And I knew it was too good to be true. But, but no sooner are those thoughts going through my mind that Jeremy says, but. And I'm like, but, but what? And he's like, but he did let me know that he does have some, some space available right now in Grand Blank. Would you be interested in that? And I'm like, of course I'd be interested in that. I mean, I'd much rather be in Grand Blank than, than, than Fenton. And he's like, okay, let me talk to him about that and I'll get back to you. And we hang up the phone and uh, again, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic at this point because I'm like, okay, it already didn't work out once. What, what are the chances that this time it actually works out? But long story short, you fast forward a couple of more months and uh, we were in that space in Grand Blank. We're still in that space today as a staff. Um, we have never paid a nickel, not, not for the internet, not for utilities, not for one thing. This guy just continues to extend that generosity towards Grumlaw. It, it's almost like in that moment, God was testing me like, hey, did you really believe that, that I'm gonna hook this up? And by the way, I failed because I was pessimistic the entire time. And then he said, ah, whatever. I'm just going to give it to you anyway, but only better. Rather than being Fenton and you're going to be in Grand Blank, you should probably have your offices in the community that you have the privilege of serving. T today, we're going to dive into the life of a guy who went by the name of Abraham or Abram, depending on where you read about him in this book called the Bible. He had a bit of a name change, which we'll explain here just a little bit later. But he, he's a guy that, that was given three promises from God himself. The three promises that would have seemed so absurd that, that I truly, I don't believe that anyone watching right now would have actually believed God, myself very much included. Or again, uh, like last week, we're going all the way back to the book of Genesis, which is actually the very first book of, of the Bible. We're going back actually about 4,000 years to the life of Abraham. And here we pick up, and here is where these promises are delivered to Abraham from God. So this is God speaking. He says, number one, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. As in, like, everyone. So if you're paying attention, here are the three promises that, that Abraham has given from God. Uh, number one, he tells him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. 
You're gonna be a great nation. Number two, I'm gonna make your name great. You're, you're gonna be famous. And then number three, he says, all people on earth, again, will be blessed through you. I mean, if you grew up in church, you probably read this passage of scripture before and you sit there and you think, wow, that's really nice. But, but if you are realistic, if you're reading this for the first time, if you're actually processing what's being communicated here, come on, you're going, what? That's ridiculous. A- anybody else feel like, like God is maybe exaggerating a little bit right here? That, 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 that these promises are a bit lofty, unachievable, uh, absurd, impossible, uh, ambitious, and see, with these, these three promises, there, there are also some very notable problems worth pointing out. The three problems that, that I see in particular. Uh, the, the first one being, Abraham didn't have any children. So God's telling him, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but he does not even have one child. So, so God, while we kind of appreciate the optimism, maybe before you start making these grandiose plans of a great nation, let's just start with a child before we move on to a nation. Because nation just kind of seems like it would imply that there are going to be lots of people. Uh, additionally, there was just kind of human physiology at play here as well. A- Abraham is, is an old man when, when God makes him these promises, as in like really old, as in like 75 years old, old. His wife, also very, very old, as in past the point of being able to have children old. So again, God, we, we appreciate all the, the nation talk, but, but those years kind of seem to have long passed us by. Problem number two, Abraham was far from famous. God tells him, I'm gonna make your name great. But he carried basically no notoriety. Nobody really knew about Abraham. Abraham was, well, average. As in, he completely blended in. As in, there was really nothing special about him. He, he, he was just your everyday nomad. He was a shepherd. He was a sheep master, if you will. Nobody outside of Abraham's immediate family had ever heard of him. He, he was far from a great name. He was far from famous. And, and, and let's be honest, when we think about becoming famous and people remembering you, even if you accomplish a lot during your time on earth, most people unless you become like the president or you're some sort of a worldwide pop sensation, most people are basically forgotten within about 50 years after they die. And 50, like that's probably being pretty generous. I'm not trying to be insensitive with what I'm saying here, but just think about it. That that loved one that you lost like 10 plus years ago, how often are you still thinking about them? I mean, every once in a while they might come up at dinner, but, but, but how much are other people outside of your immediate family ever talking or, or even thinking about him or even thinking about her. My, my grandma, Marilyn, who is uh, my, my dad's mother, um, I remember her, her funeral so, so vividly. I was in middle school and uh, we, we arrived there obviously early and, and I, I sat there and I watched at this little Baptist church in Redford, Michigan, as literally hundreds and then thousands of people came walking through the door, standing room only. They passed around a mic during the funeral and the things that people had to say about my grandma. I was like, I had no idea that she had this sort of a positive impact on so many different people. It was a celebration. I still to this day have never been to a funeral like that of my grandma Marilyn's. But guess what? Even our family, that was over 15 years ago. We don't really talk about Grandma Marilyn anymore. 
And you can guarantee yourself that today, all those people that were in attendance to pay their respects at her funeral, today in their place of work in their homes, they are not talking about my grandma Marilyn. My point, you have to do something really, really special to be truly famous, to, to, to really be remembered after you die. And then number three, the third problem as I see it, this had just never happened before. Again, that third promise, all people on earth are going to be blessed through you. What does that even mean? I mean, there's lots of issues with that promise as I see it, but probably most notable is the fact that it's just, well, preposterous. Has anyone in the history of the world ever blessed everyone, literally everyone by their life? Now, obviously, as a, as a Christian church, we would make the argument, and I think we could make it well, that that was the case for Jesus. But remember, this is long before Jesus stepped on the earth. We've had some really kind, some really loving, some really compassionate people cycle through our world, but, but all people on earth blessed through him, blessed through her? I mean, that seems like a little bit of a stretch. Mother Teresa, Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi. I mean, these are some really, really great people who did amazing things for humanity. But even the best of them, I, I don't think you could reasonably argue that all people have been blessed through them. Maybe some people, maybe even a lot of people, but all. So again, he, he gives these, these three promises. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. All people on earth are going to be blessed through you. And I'm sorry, call me ye of little faith. E even if God comes down in front of me and he promises me these three things in a vision, I I'm not sure I believe them. I'm just being honest. I think I'd try to rationalize it. I, I'd assume he was, he was exaggerating to make some greater point. And, and it would seem that God, knowing that any sane human being would doubt these promises, he attempts to reassure Abraham that, no, I am not exaggerating. I mean exactly what I am saying. So shortly after, he took him outside, took Abraham outside, and he said, look up at the sky. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them, knowing there was no chance that on this clear day in the Middle East, as he looks up and there are a countless number of stars, it would be impossible. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. God, you're saying my offspring is going to be as plentiful as the stars that we see in front of us right now? So, so there goes God. Back to the great nation back to the lots of descendants, back to the offspring talk. And, and yet Abraham is still waiting for child numero uno. God, I want to trust you. But it just doesn't seem realistic. As human beings, and, and just be honest with you, you don't have to admit this to anybody else, Christian or not, when we're faced with the unrealistic, the, the seemingly impossible, when, when, when we're unsure, most people, probably you, you choose doubt. You choose doubt over uncertainty. Now, here's what I mean by that. We, we as people, we, we tend to lead towards the, the negative rather than the positive. And so when, when we're faced with what seems unrealistic, we quickly snap into, well, that's never going to happen mode. Rather than waiting with a confident hope into the uncertainty. And please, I'm asking you, don't get those two terms confused. 
but because they are definitely not the same. That there is a drastic difference between doubt and uncertainty. See, see, when we started this church about two and a half years ago, uh, I didn't have some vision where God came down in front of me like in a ghost form and he told me all these things. God never came down and gave me sort of like a money back guarantee that everything was just going to work out and people were going to show up and this thing was going to last for the long haul. I, I, I was to a large extent uncertain how all of this would play out. But, but just because I am uncertain does not mean that I'm not trusting, that I'm not confident. I have been and continue to be exceedingly optimistic throughout this whole church starting journey that even though there is massive uncertainty facing me every single day, that God is going to work it out for his good. When people ask me, and I get asked this question all the time, are, are you surprised how well things are going at Grumlaw? I mean, I don't want to come across as arrogant, but every single time my answer is honestly, no. Because even though there's uncertainty around every corner, I, I refuse, I refuse to choose doubt. One of the things that we don't really shy away from talking about here at Grumlaw is, uh, is money. And, and that we feel very, very strongly that every Jesus follower, so by the way, if you're not a Jesus follower, you can just kind of ignore this part. But we feel very strongly that every Jesus follower should give a percentage of their income back to the local church. That, that you were invited to play a role in what God is doing in the world through the local church, through what he commonly refers to as his bride. Now, now I'm smart enough to recognize that when we ask, when we invite people to take that step, for, for most of you, you don't necessarily have just like loads of extra cash sitting around. It, it is, in a way, uncertain how you're going to make ends meet. And, and you can approach that step, that discipline, with a ton of doubt that your life's just going to fall apart because you're not going to have enough money, or you can wade, you can choose to wade into the uncertainty. And so Abraham, he's given these, these three absurd, these outlandish promises. God even gives him a visual to ensure him that, that he's not kidding, complete with, with an uncountable number of stars on a clear summer night. How does Abraham respond? Does he doubt or does he wade into the uncertainty? We're told in the next verse, Abram believed the Lord. Abram trusted God. He waded in. Rather than doubt and question, he waded into the uncertainty and he trusted God trusted that God could be relied upon to keep his promises as absurd as they surely seemed. And I am certainly of the firm belief that the reason that most people and people professing to be Christians in particular, they never see the impossible occur in their lives because over and over and over and over again, you keep choosing doubt. D doubt has just become your go-to, your, your default response. You're, you're right on the edge of the breakthrough, and you have this decision to make. Do, do you go left? Do you veer this direction and, and, and choose doubt, 
or, or do you head this direction and choose uncertainty, yes, but also trust? And every single time, you veer left. You choose doubt. And as a result, your faith is exactly where it was a year ago, two years ago, for some of you, 20 years ago. Because even though you say that you believe in Jesus, it has been a long, long time since you have actually waded into the uncertainty and trusted God to come through. Y'all, this is precisely how our faith grows. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, choosing uncertainty and the trust that comes along with it over doubt. And when you know it, when you take these leaps of faith, when you, when you wade into the uncertainty and you trust God, God has a way, he has a knack of coming through every single time. And as a result, your faith grows. And the next time when he asks you to wade in, you say yes. Because you now have all of this evidence of him coming through in the past. And years down the road, you're making faith moves that would have seemed unconscionable earlier in your life. You're making decisions that family and friends and coworkers are looking at from a distance going, oh my goodness, he, she has completely lost his mind. She has completely lost her mind. Have you? No. You're just continuing to trust. You're choosing uncertainty over doubt. And why wouldn't you? You now have a mound, you have a pile of evidence where God has proved himself to be faithful in the past. And so Abraham, he, he chooses the uncertainty. He, he trusts God even though every logical bone inside of his body was telling him to doubt. Promise number one, again, he's told, I will make you into a great nation. God says, I'm going to make you, Abraham, into a great nation. As plentiful as the stars, God tells him. Guess what? It happened. He, even though him and his bride thought they were well past the, the, the childbearing years, it, it turns out that they were not. She got pregnant. They defied the odds and they had a baby boy. And now all these years later, Israel says, we're that nation. And the Arab nation says, no, we're that nation. That there's an argument that exists even right now to present day over who that great nation is. But here's what nobody argues. Many nations came from one man, from Abraham. And even if you're skeptical of this whole book that we call the Bible, virtually every other history book agrees on this point, that, that Abraham is the father of many nations. So God comes through on promise number one. Promise number two, he says, I will make your name great. I'm gonna make you famous. This is actually the easiest one to show that it actually came true because every single person who is watching right now, even before the message today, I guarantee that you have heard of Abraham. Go ahead and just nod your head wherever you're at in your living room, in your kitchen, nod your head if you've heard of Abraham. That's right. You are at least familiar with Abraham. That's amazing, right? How about this guy? Sennacherib. Any, any of y'all watching right now ever heard of, of Sennacherib? Good old Sennacherib? Anyone? Going once? Going twice? 
My guess is, unless you are some crazy history buff, you have probably never heard of Sennacherib. But that's so interesting, considering that he was arguably the most famous of all Assyrian kings, and he was on earth not nearly as long ago as Abraham. Everyone, back in the ancient world, they had heard of Sennacherib. But you said Abraham? Abraham who? Crickets. Here we are almost 4,000 years later, post the life of Abraham, halfway around the world, and every single one of you who are watching right now, you have heard of Abraham, but you have never heard of Sennacherib. I would say that God came through on, on that promise as well. And then promise number three, all people, everyone on earth will be blessed through you. In my opinion, this is the most absurd of the ridiculous promises made to Abraham by God. God tells Abraham that, hey, all people in the world, as in everyone, is going to somehow be better off because of you. Did you know, and I'm guessing that you actually probably don't know, which is why I'm asking this, did you know that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all claim Abraham as their spiritual forefather? The, 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 the most well-known religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all three believe that men were created in God's image. That, that in the beginning, that God and man lived in harmony with one another. All three agree that, that humanity was created with free will. And all three agree that at some point, man disobeyed God. That, that man sinned. And then therefore ruptured the harmony, ruptured the relationship with God. And all three, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all three agree that God began the cleanup, that God began fixing the sin problem with one man. That one guy, Abraham. Isn't that crazy? The, 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 the three major world religions all agree up to this point. Now, it's after Abraham that all three head in different directions, but up to this point, we're on the same page. So, all the Jews can't claim to be blessed through Abraham. All the Muslims claim to be blessed through Abraham. All Christians claim to be blessed through Abraham. You, you probably see where I'm going with this. H hasn't the entire world been positively impacted, been blessed in some way by either a Jew, a Muslim, or a Christian? But perhaps, again, if you're skeptical, maybe you think I'm stretching this a little bit, but you have to admit, it's at least curious. It is at least plausible that God fulfilled each of these three ridiculous, absurd promises. You probably didn't see that coming. I guarantee you that Abraham did not see that coming. But, but do not forget, before these three promises were fulfilled, Abraham had a choice. There was a decision to be made. Do I doubt or do I trust? Trust even though I don't have all the answers. Trust even though it's very uncertain. Abram believed the Lord and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. To put it another way, righteousness was credited to or applied to Abraham because he trusted, because he believed God's 
promises, even though he was uncertain of how they would be fulfilled and even though they seemed exceedingly unlikely to come to fruition. Abraham, just like that, because he trusted. He had his right standing. This is something that every single one of us forfeit upon sinning. He had that right standing with God restored. It was gifted to him in response to his faith, to his trust. And I have some great news for every single one of you who are watching right now. The righteousness, that that, that right standing made available to Abraham is available to you as well. The, The means by which you attain a right standing with God is the same 4,000 years ago as it is today. It's faith, belief, trust. And I get that for all of us, this is hard to believe. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that it could be that simple. Everything in our lives, particularly our earthly relationships, have shown us that this just cannot be true. But the God of the universe made it that simple when he sent his one and his only son down to earth for you. You who are watching right now. Died on a cross for your sins. Solved the sin problem that you have no ability to solve yourself. Gave us a way to get that right standing back. Do you believe? Will you trust him? Y'all, God did not wait for the perfect man to get started. In fact, I challenge you sometime this week to read a little bit more about the life of Abraham. He was far from perfect. In fact, in a lot of ways, you read and you're like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? And in a similar way, you do not need to get everything together before deciding to follow Jesus, before placing your trust in him. It's okay to be uncertain. Abraham was too. He asked, you sure about that? You you, you sure that you're picking the right guy? But the point, he, he moved off of that and he chose to trust. And so God gives him a new name. He says, no longer are you going to be called Abram. You're now Abraham. To, to signify that this new life with God and the rest is, well, as we say, history. You, like Abraham, have to choose to trust as well. The the invitation offered to you today by God is the same that was offered to Abraham thousands of years ago, and it's really more of a question. Wherever you're at right now, God's looking at you, asking the question, will you trust me? Come on, will you trust me? And remember, it's not some blind trust. It's not some wishful thinking. Because all throughout history and right up to our present day, we have example after example after example that with Jesus, our future is always better than our past. And God's just asking you that question. Will you trust me?